Uh, we were talking about multiple linear regression, and uh, I talked about uh, some specific examples of how we might be able to use multiple predictor variables to uh, our advantage. And the question that I didn't get to, that left off, which is how do we solve for those coefficients? How do we solve for these unknowns where k is equal to 1, 2, whatever pre predictor variables that you have? And one thing I'd like you to think of when you think of k as your regression coefficients is that there actually is a k plus one-th coefficient, which is the intercept. Did I say this on Wednesday? I can't remember. But if you posit a regression relationship like this, <coughs> so here's a multiple linear regression with k predictor variables. There's a little blank space in here, which really could be an x naught where x naught is a constant that takes a value 1. Why am I doing this to add some complication? Because it'll show up in a minute when we talk about the, the uh, matrix approach to regression. But this really doesn't count. It's not one of your predictors. It stands in for your intercept. Okay. How do we solve for these things? Well, we defined uh, our solution being that there's or that we wanted to minimize the sums of squares residuals. So we defined a residual as the difference between a measured and a fitted value. And then we said that the best estimates for these BK are those that minimize the sum of squared residuals. All right? So you can express the residual here as the sum of yi minus the fitted values. Right? This thing here. And we said that the way you can find the, the minimum to this sum is that you can, you can take the derivative with respect to the unknowns and you can set it equal to zero and solve but you then get a system of k equations if you do that. In simple linear regression, you get two equations. I should say k plus 1 equations. In simple linear regression, you get two equations, which is fairly easy to solve. Um, with multiple linear regression, you get k plus 1 equations, which is not difficult to solve. So how do you do this? Well, you solve it with um, matrix algebra. And that's how most statistical packages do it. Or you solve it with maximum likelihood. But that doesn't sound like fun, so we'll do it with matrix algebra. You end up with a system of k plus 1 equations. Okay. Has anybody in this class taken a class in linear algebra or matrix algebra? Nobody? You got one nod, two nods. How, is, was it fun? It's actually, um, so I took matrix algebra when I was a graduate student, and it's a story that I don't think I've told my current graduate students. <coughs> Have I told you? No. I decided that I wasn't going to be a mathematician, so rather than take the class for credit, I would take it as an audit. And that way I wouldn't have to do so much work, because I really just wanted to learn the basics. I didn't want to excel in this area. The problem with taking a class for audit is that you have to get, you have to earn points equivalent to a B, 
in order to get a P. You have to get B-level grades in order to get a pass for the class. If you get anything less than a B-level grade, you get an F, and the F counts against your GPA with a full credit load, right? So I blew off the first exam and I got 30%. I started studying for the second exam and I got 50%. By the time I got to the third midterm, I realized I needed 85 and I got 83. By the time I got the final, I realized I needed 92 to get a B in the class I had, and it was cumulative. So I had to study linear regression until I could get a 93 in a cumulative final and I got no credit for it. But if I didn't, I would have got an F. It would have put me on academic probation and embarrassed the hell out of my advisor for having such a pathetic graduate student. So don't ever audit a class. <laughs> it's good advice, I think. I think it's good advice. If you have to put in the effort to get at least a B, why not get a B? Because you might end up getting an A anyway. Don't, don't invite yourself to fail. All right, we're going to do, we're going to do, we're going to do, to take one and pass it around. This is going to be really old-fashioned because it's my handwriting. We're going to do linear regression, sorry, linear regression by matrix algebra in a day. <laughs> Don't worry, there's no test. <laughs> there's no test. You don't, all you have to do is stay awake and you get a P. Oops, uh, there we go. Okay, and this is so old-fashioned that I actually hand-wrote this thing and then made photocopies because I'm just, you guys are all, you know, very young and don't remember back when we didn't have PowerPoint. Is this coming up, this projector document camera? When I was a college student, we had professors would <laughs> lean over an overhead projector which had a roll of, yeah, transparent plastic on it and they would write on it with these water pens and, and roll it up and then always the left-handed ones would end up smearing it all over the page. Anyway, when I was young enough in elementary school, I remember these mimeograph machines that would make these purple colored ink, yeah. Okay. So, this is supposed to be relatively painless, but I want you to just take away, all I want you to take away, well, it would be great if you actually understood this, but the main thing that I want you to take away is a bit of vocabulary, because your textbook is going to introduce a few of these concepts, and we're going to talk about matrices in the context of weighted regression, we're going to look at residuals, we're going to look at leverage in the context of matrices, and you can't avoid it. You simply can't avoid it. In weighted regression, you can't avoid it. So a little bit of vocabulary will help you understand that time two years from now when you need to fit a weighted regression and you dig into the R manuals and it says you have to come up with a weight matrix and you're like, what's a matrix? So we're going to talk a little bit about that, okay? So don't, this is a low stress activity. So matrix algebra fundamentally provides compact notation for some operations that you may be very comfortable doing already. And of course, Compact notation is great if you like notation. Some of us like to listen to music instead of writing down notes, musical notes, but we'll do the best we can to get through this. So what's a matrix? Well, a matrix in, a, in the context of matrix uh, algebra is a rectangular array of elements. And matrices are usually described or drawn this way, the rectangular array with big square brackets that define the shape of the matrix. The elements are denoted by their position in row column. Those of you who've been playing with R, already. We denote the positions in matrices in R the same way. So there's row one, column one. There's row one, column two. 
rows and columns. The dimension of a matrix is given in terms of its number of rows and columns. So this is a three by two matrix, three rows, two columns. Me, instinctively, that's backwards. I look at that as a two by three, but really in matrix notation, it's row by columns, okay? Matrices, when you see them in textbooks, they're denoted by bold letters. This is me trying to show you a bold A with my pen. Here, and again, this is a two row by three column matrix. It's a two by three, and each element in the matrix is denoted by a lowercase letter, so that's A11, element A in the first row, first column. But the matrix itself will be denoted in a bold letter, and when you look in your textbook and you see some big, bold capital letters, they're talking about matrices. Now, a matrix is never a single number unless its dimension is one by one. R talks about vectors all the time. Vectors are just matrices with one row or column dependent upon how you position them, right? There's some interesting special matrices or a square matrix. It has the same number of rows and columns. It's pretty obvious that's supposed to be a capital bold B. It's a two by two matrix. Just point at, yell at me if there are any questions. It's going to be a little bit dry, but trust me, it's more fun than when I used to write it on the board and you had to copy it all down. By the way, this is following some, some examples in a, a classic regression textbook by Draper. Uh, matrices can be transposed, and you've heard that term probably before. You can click a little box in Excel to transpose a range of cells if you copy and paste. Transposing is when you exchange rows and columns. And you indicate a transpose with a little prime up here. So that, although we would call that in matrix terms, a transpose, okay? So if A is a three by two matrix, then a transpose is a two by three matrix, and you swap the rows and columns. Column one, when it's transposed, becomes row one. Column two becomes row two. So they, they flip, they pivot, okay? And you can transpose a matrix that actually has only one column. Here's a three by one matrix, becomes a one by three. In R, if you have a vector, is it a matrix, vertical matrix or horizontal matrix? I don't really know. R obviously displays things in rows because computers are designed that way. But I think of R, I think R vectors are actually, well you can treat them either way using R bind or C bind. Uh, matrices are equal if they have the same dimension and all the entries are the same. You can't have two matrices that are equal or equivalent unless they have the same dimensions and all of the entries are exactly the same. There's two important matrices that we've been dealing with in regression already. That Y matrix is just a vector of all the observed uh, data, all the, the observed data. And we have an X matrix this X matrix, I've put the little one in there to stand in for that one that I showed you just a few minutes ago and then unfortunately erased from the board. It stands in for the intercept. So you've got a matrix that has N rows and as many columns as you have predictors plus one, one for the intercept, okay? Um, this thing is called, by the way, the design matrix and you'll see that sometimes in regression textbooks talking about the design matrix. Again, this is referring to data. Right? It's just your data. It's a compact way of describing your data. What would it look like in your spreadsheet? Well, you'd have one column for whatever your Y variable was. You wouldn't include this one. You'd have a bunch of other columns for all your X observations that correspond to the Y. This is just a compact notation. So matrices can be added or subtracted, but only if they have the same dimension. 
So this A is a three by two, B is a three by two. You can add the two together or subtract one for the other if they have the same dimension. And see how it works? You subtract the same row column position from each one. So if you subtract B from, or add a, B to A, you end up with one plus one in this corner. So the resulting matrix, if you add or subtract two matrices together, is a matrix of the same dimension and, the, and the, the addition or subtraction is applied element-wise. Each one of these pieces is called an element in the matrix. So A plus B, you get 1 plus 1 in the 1, 1 column. You get 4 plus 2 in the 1, 2 column is 6, and so forth. Right? In regression, we can take advantage of this notation in regression. Remember that an observation, Yi, is the sum of the fitted value plus the residual. If you express this in terms of all of the population, the whole population, then you can express it in matrix terms. The Y matrix is equal to the Y hat matrix plus error. Those are just three vectors. These are all the actual true values of Y. These are their corresponded fitted values on the regression surface plus the residuals, whatever the residuals are. And that's just a nice way of taking your regression line, right, and finding all of the observed data, those are the y's, and their corresponding points on the regression surface, these are the y hats, these are the y's, and the difference between them is their residuals. If you just Write them all down in a list, you actually have three vectors that all add together. Okay? Matrices can also be multiplied, and they can be multiplied by scalars. When you multiply by a scalar, it's like a conventional algebra operation. So if matrix A there is, is, got, is a two by two, and you multiply that matrix by four, a constant or a scalar, then you multiply each element in the matrix by that constant. Again, this is kind of like the way R does things. If you multiply a vector by a constant, it multiplies every element in the vector by the constant. And actually, I think if you did that in R with a matrix, you'd get the same output. So you multiply every element, so you get two times four, nine times four, seven times four, three times four, and the resulting matrix, the output, is a matrix with the same dimensions as the input matrix, two by two. No change in dimension, because you're just multiplying each element by a constant. Matrix multiplication is a little bit different from uh, standard multiplication, except with uh, constants, with scalars in the sense that if you multiply Ka, you get the same result as A times K, where A is a matrix and K is the scalar, just a single digit. This is not true when we get to matrix multiplication, but it is true when you multiply a matrix by a single digit or a scalar. You can also multiply matrices by matrices. Here's a matrix A, it's a two by two, and matrix B is a two by two. But the product of AB is a cross product matrix where the rows of A's are multiplied by the columns of B's. And here's how it works. It's a little different, it's tricky. And you have to get used to it. I always have to draw it, so I just can't visualize this in my head when I'm doing them by hand, when I did do them by hand in that class that I almost failed. So when you multiply A by B, the first product is you take the first column of B, 
you transpose it, you lay it on top of the first row of A, you multiply the element, element wise and then add it all up. The resulting matrix here has the same dimensions as this, but the, the result in each element is this cross product. So the resulting element 1, 1 in AB is the sum of the column of B times the row of A element wise and summed. And you simply, I don't even know how to explain this properly in English, so I draw it. You're going to take the column of B, right, 4 and 5, right here. You're going to lay that on top of the row of A, 2 and 5. You're going to multiply the two elements together and sum them all up. That result is now the 1, 1 element in the resulting matrix. I think of this as an algorithm in my head. I think real mathematicians have some deeper understanding, just like real musicians know what it means when you do this. See, I did it wrong too. Don't they go the other way? I can't even remember. My son took music lessons for a while. I realized I would never be good at it. At least writing music. Does that make sense? Okay. To complete this operation, it looks like the, the result on the top of this page. So we've taken the one column on top of the one row, that becomes the 1-1 one, one position. Take the second column on the top row, that becomes the 1-2 position. You take the first column on the second row, multiply and add it up, that becomes the 2-1 position. The second column on the second row, multiply and add them up, and that becomes the 2-2 two, two position. This proves really handy in the context of regression. Here's another example, and what you can see from this example is that matrix multiplication can only work if the dimensions are compatible. The matrices don't have to have the same dimension in the row space, but they have the column dimension here, the number of, sorry, the row, number of rows in B has to match the number of columns in A, or else this doesn't work. If B only had two rows, you couldn't turn this thing and lay it on top of the first row of A because you'd be missing something to multiply by the third column. So this multiplication is only going to work if the second operator here, matrix B, has the same number of rows as the first one has in columns. It doesn't matter how many columns you actually have in this one. That, I mean, the result does, but you can have more than one. And it doesn't matter here how many rows you have. You can have more than one. So to, to do this multiplication, we're going to take the first column of B. We're going to put it on top of the first row of A. We're going to multiply element-wise. So turn this on top. We get 3 times 1 plus 5 times 3 plus 4 times 2. And that's the result in the 1-1 one, one box. Do the same thing a second time. And that's the result in the 2-1 box. So the result, interestingly, has the number of columns as the second operator and the number of rows as the first. So if you multiply, this is a 2 by 3 matrix, and you multiply that by a 3 by 1 matrix, you end up with a 2 by 1 matrix. And here's the way that's described. The dimensions of A are 2 by 3, dimensions of B are 3 by 1, then the, the inner pieces here have to match, otherwise the operation is not possible. And the outer ones are the dimensions of the 
product matrix. So it's a, it becomes a two by one. And we, when I learned linear algebra, we stopped and checked this every time before we did it. So the inner pair must match, three and three, and the outer pair become the dimensions of the product. Now, I think you can see that flowing from this, A times B in matrix algebra, where these are both matrices, does not give you the same result as B times A. And in fact, B times A in this case is undefined, doesn't exist, matrix B times matrix A. But A times B works. This is unlike regular algebra. It matters. And by the way, in R, I think you do it with a percent. If you want to multiply two matrices, you'd say A, and I'm not going to make it bold, but you could say A, and you do percent, star, percent, I think it's like that, B. Actually, you can, I've got a script to show you. actually does the matrix operation for you. Okay? All right, here's where we can make advantage of it in regression. So remember this matrix here, it's, it, it happens to be a three by two, but this is a matrix that, this is a design matrix for a simple linear regression. These numbers here don't mean multiple predictors. This is the first observation of X, the second observation of X, the third observation of X. So we have one x variable and an intercept. Is this product defined? Well, here we have a 3 by 2, and here we have a 2 by 1. So if we do 3 by 2, and we're going to multiply that by a 2 by 1 matrix, these two match, so we're OK. And these two will be the dimensions of our matrix. It'll be 3 by 1 when we're done. And what do you get if you take this matrix of population coefficients and lay it on top of each of these rows? You end up with B0 plus B1. Those are fitted values. So this is a compact way of just noting that the design matrix times the population regression coefficients is a matrix, or in this case it's a vector. It's a matrix that's 2 by 1 of uh, 3 by 1, sorry. It's a vector of uh, fitted values. So what if we take our matrix Y, which is an N by 1, it's, it's N long, but 1 wide. We transpose it, turn it sideways. That's what the transpose means. And we multiply it again by Y. Is that defined? Well, here we have a 1 by N, and we're multiplying that by an N by 1. So the inner are two ends, so that's defined. The outer are ones, which means the result must be a one by one matrix, which is a single value. What do you get? You get the sum of squares of y. So y transpose y is a sum of squares of y. We've used that one before in solving a regression by hand. So what if you take x transpose x? You do the same thing. You have a matrix here, x is n by 2. You're going to transpose it. You have a 2 by n, a 2 by n times an n by 2. The inner are n's. The outer is a 2 and a 2. A 
That means your product's going to be a two by two matrix. If you do that in your head, you're going to see that you get this matrix as an output. The first element is going to be this column of ones. Take it, turn it sideways, lay it on top of a row of ones. Multiply one by one, you get one. Add it all up, you get n, because you have n of them. Does that make sense? So that's n. If you take that row of one, the column of ones, and you lay it on top of this row of x variables, that's just the sum of x, you get the same thing in the other corner, because you take this column of x's here, and you put it on, turn it sideways, put it on the column of ones, multiply it and add it up, and you get x squared in the bottom there. If you take x transpose y, you get this piece here. The result is a matrix, all right? So you've got a, uh, this is a 2 by n times an n by 1. You end the result, if it's 2 by n, 2 by n, multiply that by n by 1. These match, so we're okay. The result is a 2 by 1 matrix. And it happens to be the sum of yi and the sum of xi yi sum of products. That's the sum of y and the sum of products of x and y. Why are all these important? We will see in a minute. There are some special matrices that will appear in regression sometimes. The first is a matrix that is symmetric. A matrix that is symmetric has a mirror image around its diagonal axis. To be symmetric, then, a matrix must be square. And that also means that A is equal to A transpose, and A transpose is equal to A. The matrix is the same as its transpose. Either way you go. <coughs> See, there's a diagonal here. Doesn't really matter what those elements are. But their mirror image across the diagonal must be the same. This is important because when you're starting to deal with regression with correlated error structures, we will want to specify error structures, possibly where the variance is the same for every observation, but there are non-zero covariances, and you'll see this eventually. Another special matrix is one called a diagonal. If the matrix is diagonal, it has to be square, and all of the elements off of the diagonal are zero. So this one here, A, is a diagonal matrix. Every element on the diagonal is 3, but it doesn't really matter what the values are. It's just that all the off diagonals are 0. So this is also a diagonal, even though it's 4, 1, 10, and 5. So if someone says a symmetric matrix, it happens that these diagonals are also symmetric, right? There's a special matrix called the identity matrix which is a diagonal symmetric matrix where all of the elements on the diagonal are 1. What's neat about the diagonal matrix is that if you pre-multiply any matrix by, sorry, this identity matrix, if you pre-multiply any matrix by the identity matrix or post-multiply any matrix by the identity matrix, you get the same matrix as the result. And you can see it in this example. We're going to pre-multiply this matrix A here with this identity matrix. If you take this column and you turn it on top of this row, multiply all the elements together and add them all up, you end up with A1 because you end up with 1A1 plus 0A2 plus 0A3. You end up with A11. <coughs> Excuse me. That's true as you carry on. Take this column, turn it by this row, 
multiply, you get zero, A1, A21, uh, A11 times zero, plus one times A21 plus zero times A31. When you solve this thing, you end up back with the same matrix. It's actually a good exercise if you're interested in practicing any of this to try multiplying those. So the identity matrix in matrix algebra serves the same kind of role as one in matrix algebra. Multiply any number by one and you get the number. Multiply any matrix by the identity matrix and you get the matrix. What is the matrix? Oh, 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 oh. There's also a special vector that you'll see in some textbooks called the zero vector. I'm only bringing this up here because sometimes you'll see a textbook where it has a zero and it's bold. Where did that come from? Why is that zero more important than the other zero? It's because it's a zero vector. It's some column of zeros. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, in matrix algebra, some columns can exhibit what's called linear dependence. This column here is just five times this column. That means these two columns have linear dependence. This is important because, as you'll see in a minute, or as you'll see at some point, you can't find the inverse of a matrix that has linear dependence in it, and we need to find the inverse to solve some regression problems. And you will sometimes see some matrices that are not invertible are called singular. Sometimes when you're running R, particularly in some uh, regression scenarios that are complicated, you'll have it give an error message that says matrix is singular. If you see one that says matrix is singular, that means you have two. You can obviously tell that those are, by the way, are really highly correlated variables. These are correlated. Go one unit up in here, you go five units up in here. If you have two predictors, if you're trying to solve a regression problem with a lot of predictor variables and you get some errors about singular matrices, you probably have a couple predictors that are very highly correlated. And what you need to do is figure out which ones they are and try getting rid of one of the other ones. Okay. So if not, um, the, if the, you don't have any columns that are linearly dependent, then the matrix is called linearly independent and it turns out it's invertible. No, no, it's columns. All right. The inverse is kind of neat because we don't really think of this, uh, this solution up at the top here. In ordinary algebra, the inverse of 6 is 1 over 6. Fine, you know that. The inverse of 6 is 1 over 6. The inverse of x is 1 over x. In fact, if we multiply x by its inverse, that's the same as multiplying the inverse by x, and we get 1. Multiply the inverse of 6 by 6, and you get 1. Multiply 6 by the inverse of 6, and you get 1. Well, the inverse exists in matrix algebra 2, and it serves the same function. If you multiply a matrix by its inverse, you get 1, or the identity matrix in matrix terms, the equivalent to the number 1 in matrix terms. And it it's, it's true whether you pre-multiply by the inverse or post-multiply by the inverse. And the inverse is just denoted by this little minus 1 up here at the top. So if A is this matrix, 2 by 2, it's 2, 3, 4, and 1, then the inverse of A happens to be this number. And you can confirm it by multiplying A by this inverse. And I encourage you to do that. Go back to your office and try the middle matrix algebra. 
you'll find you get an identity matrix as a result. Why is the inverse important? Well, sometimes the inverse doesn't exist in regression problems. If there's linear dependence, the matrix is called singular and it doesn't exist. Finding an inverse becomes very complex for large matrices and it is computationally very intensive. And it is subject to all sorts of rounding errors in the algorithms that are used, the QR decomposition, to find inverses. And there are some computer techniques that, are, that, that take advantage of centering variables to reduce these rounding errors. So it's, comp it's complex for large matrices and computationally intensive. But there are tools available <laughs> for you to do it. If you take linear algebra, you will have to do that by hand. And you won't enjoy it. I don't think well in multiple dimensions. You know, the inverse of 6 is 1 over 6. I'm good with that. The inverse in a 2 by 2 matrix, I get pretty good for that too. You get to 5 by 7 or anyway, whatever, and you get really complicated. Uses for the inverse. Inverse turns out that it's very important. Ever solve the equation 5y equals 20? Solve for y? Well, you just use the inverse to do that. You pre-multiply 5y equals 20 on both sides by the inverse of 5. And what happens? The 5 goes away on the left. It appears on the, the inverse appears on the right. And you've isolated y equals 1 fifth times 20, which is equal to 4. So you solved that simple algebraic expression for y by just pre-multiplying by the inverse of that number, 5, that you wanted to get rid of on the left-hand side. And if you multiply both sides this by the inverse, you, you keep the uh, equality and you're fine. In matrix algebra, let's say we've got a matrix, matrix A times Y equals C. Well, if we want to solve for Y, we can pre-multiply both sides by the inverse of A. And since A inverse times A is just equal to the identity matrix, and the identity matrix times any matrix is itself, if we pre-multiply by the inverse, we can solve. Y is the inverse of A times C. Same idea. It's about, that's about the most you need to know about matrix operations with inverses, other than you need to be able to find the inverse to actually solve, right? And I've said the inverse is sometimes tough to find. So let's say we have this system of two equations. 2y1 plus 4y2 is 20, 3y1 plus y2 is 10. So let's just express this in matrix terms. I'm going to pull the digits out, 2, 4, 3, 1, and express the unknowns, y1 and y2, as a matrix. Are those equivalent? They are. Because if you take this and multiply it there, and take this and multiply it there, you get those two equations. So we've just taken that system of two equations and expressed it in matrix terms. We want to solve for y1 and y2. We just pre-multiply this thing by the inverse of this matrix, right? the inverse of 2, 4, 3, 1, which is why I used it on the previous example, because we know that one. And you can, there's the inverse. I've substituted it from the previous page. Take this thing, multiply it, and you get the solution. It's 2 and 4. So we can use the inverse to solve a system of equations. Okay, where have I been leading you? To the matrix solution for regression. This is a population regression line. I'm using the capital Greek letters. This is the equation for the regression surface for all the population of y and x pairs. This implies that there's a whole bunch of series of equations here. For all the different observations of y, there's a corresponding fitted value 
and a residual. That's all this says. For every individual observation of y, there's a corresponding fitting value and a residual. Let's take that system of equations and express it in matrix terms. That means there's a y matrix here, which is an n by 1. There's an x matrix here, which is an n by 2. We've got to keep the intercept plus our predictor x. We've got a, a 2 by 1 matrix of regression coefficients and an, and an n by 1 matrix of residuals. So we can rewrite this, this regression equation in matrix terms. Y is x beta plus epsilon. Okay. Now if you remember that least squares criterion, we minimize the sums of squared errors and we took the partial derivatives, we set to zero and we solved and we got this system of normal equations. It's usually called the normal equations. This is what we solve for. If you take the derivatives with respect to the unknowns, set to zero, solve for the unknowns, you get a system of two equations. And they have all these interesting pieces that I showed you about four pages ago. Earlier I showed you that x transpose x looks like this. You get n, sum of x, sum of x, and sum of x squared. Well, that's n, sum of x, sum of x, and x squared. And x transpose y is the sum of yi and the sum of products of x. That appears over here. And then, we've, of course, we've got a matrix of regression coefficients. So if x transpose x beta, or b here, looks like this. We can express our whole regression equation in terms of matrices. x transpose x beta equals x transpose y. That's the same thing as the set of equations at the top of this page, the normal equations. In fact, this is called the normal equations, or it's now called the normal equation in matrix terms when you read it in regression textbooks. If we pre-multiply by the inverse of x transpose x, we can isolate b and solve for it. So pre-multiply by the inverse of x transpose x. These brackets have to be here because matrix operations proceed from left to right. You can't do x transpose inverse times x inverse. You have to find this inner piece and then the inverse. And you isolate b is x transpose x inverse x transpose y. That's the regression solution for the linear regression coefficients. And at this point, as long as you followed me and you don't believe I've deceived you, then you're good. Okay? There are just a couple pieces that I want to leave you with because we'll come back to these as we talk about uh, linear regression for the next month or so. By definition, there is a variance-covariance matrix of the regression coefficients. I've told you that those regression coefficients, they're statistics. They're variables. They have sampling distributions. That means they must have standard deviations, which we call standard errors. That's, this is the variance of the regression coefficient B0, and this is the variance of B1. I've also told you that the regression coefficients, the are correlated. They're not independent. If they're correlated, they have covariances. So you can simply express the variances of the coefficients and their covariances in a matrix here. And you can find that by just multiplying this thing, your sigma squared, your overall residual variance, times this x transpose x inverse. We never, we usually don't know sigma squared, so we replace it with the mean squared error. 
or the standard error of the estimate. Well, this, that's not the standard error of the estimate because we haven't taken the square root of it. The square of the standard error of the estimate. The mean squared error to estimate. So if you see this thing in your textbook, what they mean is the variance covariance matrix of the regression coefficients. That sounds fancy statistics limbo, lingo. It just means the standard errors squared, because there's a square there, of the coefficients and their covariances. And you may need these pieces, and I play with them directly sometimes, because that's how I learned to do it in R. But there are functions to deal with those pieces, because you're going to, if you need to put code, uh, confidence intervals on them, you want to put a confidence interval on your estimate of the slope, you need the standard error of your estimate of the slope. You can get it from the variance covariance matrix. There's a special matrix called the hat matrix. And all it really does is, it, we're taking a little tweak here, but the hat, hat matrix takes a special role and we'll use it for looking at leverage of regression residuals. Um, if, you, if you think of this fitted value as just x times b, where b is your solution for the coefficients, then you can actually substitute b into this thing and we get this uh, matrix of the fitted values here is just our solution for the coefficients, x transpose x inverse, inverse x transpose y. So th that's the solution. Uh, and I should have put beta. There should be a little b in here, by the way. There should be a little b in there. Where's my pen? I don't have a pen. There should be a little b after this. In bold. I lost it from here. That's not true. What am I talking about? Would you guys forget what I just said? Man, I, because, it's, because we're out of time and I'm rushing, I do that. I shouldn't do it because now I'm confusing myself, which means I'm confusing you. We should just quit. We'll finish this on Wednesday. I think this stuff is really cool because I never have to use it, but it makes sense to me. That's the best thing you can learn. <laughs> I, I only, whenever I need to use it, I can go back to my notes, all right? So if you can follow the notes, you're good. You ever come up with a matrix terms in a problem of a journal article or a textbook, you can go back to your notes. You can work out what the heck is going on and you're golden. And that's why I think it's cool. We'll leave it there. We'll finish the last page here on Wednesday and then we'll carry on with regression. Never rush, Robert. All right.